Look alive, sunshine. The question is not when you're gonna stop, but who is gonna stop you. The electric centaur, the democrat, the revolution will not be televised. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of the Grindhouse Podcast. I am your host, Dave, and today we have a very special guest as co-host of this show, and that co-host is actually one of my favorites. Maybe is my favorite, and that is you, the audience. You are my co-host today as we take this, this, uh, this hot engine of a podcast out for a ride on the open road and just see how much we can let it let loose. So... We have a lot to get into today. Uh, I want to remind you guys to all follow us on our Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Oscuro. Uh, I ramble on about wrestling predominantly there and sometimes uh, talk about movies as well. And you can join our Facebook group at Grindhouse Podcast. So you get all the up-to-date information, including information about a tournament which has been raging for the last month and a half now, more or less. Uh, And that is our Supreme Witch Tournament. It is a tournament to determine which witch movie reigns supreme among them all. You know, as we start creeping down towards that spooky season, you know, there's so many amazing movies that revolve around witchcraft that, you know, picking one just didn't seem to do us justice. So, since you are our co-host, we left it to you. And you have guys have been doing an excellent job on voting. We'll get to the results of uh, last week's competition, uh, the second to last within the first round of the tournament. It was Eve's Bayou versus The Love Witch. So we'll see who won that at the end of the episode, as well as announce the final two combatants. Which two witch movies will be competing to be the final movie that gets out of round one? So all that's coming up at the end. Uh, On top of all that, I wanted to talk about a show that I recently got into. And, um, you know, sometimes with me, I people will tell me, you know, like, hey, Dave, check this up, this series or this movie out. You're really going to love it. Um, It's right up your alley, you know, things of that nature. And and, uh, as you guys can tell with the frequency of the podcast, sometimes, especially when I'm in work mode, it's really hard to get into a series because... My time when I'm filming is extremely limited and, you know, to commit yourself to eight to 12 episodes of something, you know, assuming you get into it at season one, is sometimes a, a tall task. It's, it's one of those things that's really tough to stay up with. Um, but I, so when I was first told about a, a show called The Witcher, I was, was interested immediately because, you know, I think... Game of Thrones had just ended not that long ago, and I'd really uh, I'd burned through Penny Dreadful, and I was just looking for some sort of series that scratched that escapism itch. Uh, but unfortunately, The Witcher stars Henry Cavill, and I know a lot of people love Henry Cavill. I know to an entire generation, he is your Superman, and certainly there are many men and women who just love to look at the Adonis body that is standing in front of you on the silver screen but for me personally outside of the tutors i have not been a fan of his stuff i thought he was a dreadful superman um he doesn't he plays cocky really well which he did in the tutors you know if you've ever seen that show but when it when it comes to more earnest emotions he seems i'm never really convinced by it so it's a little bit of a turnoff um i watched the first episode and it was fine to me 
but it didn't really capture my imagination. And even though season one only has, I think, eight episodes, I just, um, you know what? I wasn't committed and it was just fine. It was one of those things that maybe I'll get back around to one day, but if not, no big deal. And I kind of moved on, you know, I just kind of got busy doing other stuff. But uh, recently, since I've been back home in Los Angeles, I've had a little bit more time to catch up on stuff. And um, and so I, I decided to revisit it, right? I was really in that kind of mood. I had watched a movie, well, I'd watched Valhalla Rising, which we talked about a few episodes ago. And then... Um, I was flipping through some other, like, uh, I watched Gangs of New York recently, and, um, oh, I know there was some sort of war movie that I watched, I just can't remember. I, I think, I, I think I've been meaning to watch the, uh, Michael Fassbender version of Macbeth, and so I was just in that mode, right? Just in that mood for, like, a good sword battle or, like, a spider monster or something, and so I decided to give The Witcher one more chance, and I gotta tell you, like, I am so into it now. So if you've not, t- if you're like me and you're like super late to the party when it comes to watching shows, including The Witcher, uh, spoilers ahead. The series has been out for a bit, and I don't think we're gonna get a season two until sometime in late 2021. I think a byproduct of this whole COVID shutdown is that filming for The Witcher was delayed until like last month. So it's gonna be if you're already a fan of the show, it's gonna be a little bit of a wait. If you're uh, like me and you're just getting into the show, uh, bummer, right? Because you're like super, probably super stoked to see the, what happens next. And then uh, if you haven't, if you're if you're even more like me and you actually haven't even gotten around to watching The Witcher yet, then I will warn you there are spoilers, at least partially. I've not finished the season, but I can tell you kind of, I'm thinking like five episodes in, so I can just talk about some of the things I really like about it, where it works, maybe where it doesn't work, and just give you guys some sort of feedback on something fun to watch. It, it's not... It's not what I would. I wouldn't call it like a. Um, it's not a horror movie by any sort of horror series by any stretch, but it does deal with sort of like monsters and demons and goblins and witches and and witchers and all kinds of kind of crazy, creepy things. That if you're looking for something to watch, that's uh, a little bit more action packed than your typical spooky season movie. I think The Witcher might be might be right up your alley. We'll find out certainly. So. One of the things that I've got to sort of let everyone know right off the bat when it comes to watching The Witcher is that there are uh, three main characters and each of those characters actually gets its own timeline. This was something that I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily, uh, I don't, I've never played the video game and I didn't read the books. So I really walked into this show completely blind. No concept of the setup or the structure or how that generally works. But uh, in the show, you have uh, Geralt the Witcher, Henry Cavill, Geralt, I think, Geralt de Rivera, Rivia. And then there's a princess, a young princess named Suri, or Curry. And then there's a sorceress named Yennefer. And each of their stories, they almost, I would even say, go so far as to say, even though like Henry Cavill is like all over the, uh, the, the art, you know, he's obviously he's the A-lister name drawn you to that. I would say that the Witcher, Yennefer, and Siri actually ha- are, are equally co-stars. Um, certainly, I would say so far five episodes in, uh, Yennefer and and Cavill and uh, Gerlot. But um, so it's so the reason that's important is because when I first started watching, you just assume it's just cutting between different characters, and you don't. It doesn't really do a good job of highlighting the fact that. Uh, 
that they're they're take place at different times. So just thinking you're hopping between character to character, it's fine at first because they're pretty they're pretty separated. But as the series goes on, you start to see characters, you know, interact and um, and and obviously clearly in different points. And so it, I actually that was one of the things that I had to sort of offsite do a little reading about the series without necessarily getting into any spoiler territory for how the series ends. And and once I understood that, then it made it it made all the more sense. And also, I feel like it's a really unique wrinkle to the show because, again, my early reaction of the show was that it was just kind of there. You know, it looked to me it kind of had a vibe of coming off a little low budget sci fi action adventure series. But as the series progresses, especially as we get past The Witcher, Gerlot, and we start you know spending time with our other characters, especially Yennefer, who I think her story so far really steals the show. Um, before you get into the other characters, the adventure with just the Witcher just feels, you know, like kind of dumb fantasy action. Um, but as it progressed, as the other characters were introduced, it really picks up and and it makes the, the series in general a lot more compelling. So both a positive and a negative the positive is the idea of starting your three different characters at different points in history knowing that at some point they're going to converge is like a really interesting way of formatting a show that takes the overall sort of uh, exterior of the show makes it way more interesting but the bad part of that is is that they don't actually really do a good job informing you of that's what's going on you just sort of have to figure it out as you watch which for some people might really add to the mystery to me it was a little confusing and if i wasn't as committed to the show uh i might be too confused and and hop off the ride right so a plus and a minus but ultimately i think the formatting of the three different characters and three different time you know time periods relatively close time periods but you know they i do suspect they will all interact in the you know uh second to last episode but uh, it, it is if you're if, if you just sort of write it out, it all makes sense. But it might be a good idea if they had done something to just sort of really highlight that, so that there's no one who gets too confused and decides to move on to some other show. Uh, the other thing about that is, as I mentioned at the top, like I didn't care for Henry Cavill's character, or is that I don't care for Henry Cavill as an actor generally, um, and so it, I really struggled to get past. You know, Geralt being so, like, handsome. Like, I'd seen photos online, and to me, I always imagined someone a little gruffer, you know, someone a little, like, like a Josh Brolin, maybe, someone who's got, like, a grittier, meaner, tougher look. Henry Cavill, for as, as massive as a man as he is, he doesn't f- inherently look, in the face at least, like a tough guy. Uh, and I don't know, maybe if that's just like a byproduct of of seeing him in you know in real life. He's just, he just it just seems like he doesn't have that in his facial structure. So again, I kind of I kind of bumped against that, uh, and I don't think he has inherently a a wide array of emotions. But much like I feel like uh, with Keanu Reeves, you know, especially like in the John Wick movies or even the Matrix, you you perfectly position the lead actor in a way that uh, emphasizes their strengths but hides their weaknesses. Like, the character of Gerard predominantly seems to suffer through a, a sort of strange combination of malaise 
and simultaneous uncaring. I think it's actually quite. I mean, they say it multiple times that like by the product, the, the process in which he became the Witcher, it it makes him devoid of emotion. Uh, but I I think I mean I, I guess we'll see how the series ends. But I actually feel like uh, he he while he might suppress it. He certainly seems to exhibit a lot more emotion and moral compass than they give credit for. And um, and so he actually can pull that sort of brooding thing off, you know. Uh, and his action scenes, you know, a lot of times are shot kind of from the back. And so they, as the series goes along, it starts to work more and more. And it starts to work really well within the context of how they frame him. And uh, they give him enough room to do what he's really good at. And they don't ask him to do, like, crazy emotional scenes, like that really terrible scene at the end of Man of Steel where he snaps Zod's neck and, he, you know, he screams no. Like, that's terrible, terrible. Like, that's, don't ask him. Don't, it's like Ben Affleck, right? Like, there's a there's a range in which they excel at. Don't ask him to do any more. And so I don't think The Witcher does. I think especially as the series settles into its groove, you really start to see that they found a good place for him to make him the best version of him that he can be. Um you know, Suri plays a child princess. So, um, you know, f- from her perspective, you're getting you got a very talented young actress who's emoting bewilderment and and fear and disorientation. Um, I think she does that really, very well as also. And then, but again, the star of the show is Yennefer. Yennefer is a former. Well, I guess again, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Jennifer plays a young lady who was born with uh, physical birth defects, sort of a, a disjointed jaw and like a hunchback type uh, scarring maybe or, or growth. And she's you know lambasted by her family. She's sold by her father for less than what a pig is worth. She's treated like trash. She's like a, she's like the series is uh, Cinderella, you know, with the evil stepsisters. And um, she gets drafted into essentially like a, a witch academy of sorts a society and trained in the arts of magic and as the series progresses she does uh she goes through transformation that uh makes her beautiful on the outside right and and but it's got some side effects so there's a lot of emotional weight in this series and it's mostly on yennefer's shoulders the actress anaya shalotra she she plays yennefer so well she uh she really shoulders the the emotional gravitas of the series, which then allows, say, Cavill, for example, to be a little bit more minimalistic in what he's bringing to the table, outside of like the the, the physical imposing brute. Um, the monsters in it and the CG in general is a little hit or miss, if I'm being honest. I think I think they find a, again the the show to me seems like it really finds its stride as it goes and so from that perspective i think that uh, their their way of filming the monsters and their mixture of of practical applications with cgi certainly to me gets not only better like smoother but also it takes me out of the story a lot less than maybe in the first episode you know they they open big and maybe you can make the argument that they open big beyond their means with this sort of swamp spider monster which looked to me took me out of it initially which especially when i already had had like trepidation walking into the show but uh again as the series goes the monsters get better they get better lit more appropriately and uh and it feels almost like like it's almost set up like if you like the mandalorian and how the mandalorian has an overarching story but every episode 
in and of itself also feels like it can branch off into little sub-adventures. That to me is a little bit the way that The Witcher is structured as well. Like, obviously there's a main story. We got these three characters who are converging upon one another. But at the same time, especially within The Witcher's timeline, it has a little bit of Monster of the Week feel. You know, not that he's searching for a monster every episode but you know he seems to come across one be it because um, we'll start to know him and so he gets no peace right so he you know he, he ends up having to try to find a genie in in a lake and then they've got to deal with the repercussions of that right or uh, you know someone you know recognizes him or he's caught out as a witcher and then someone enlists him to clear out their fields of a devil whatever whatever it may be somehow or another he seems to be brought in with a creature of the week so it builds in from his perspective the the action that you're really looking for probably if you're a fan of the video games in, in particular and 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 that would go extend to like how they shoot even the fight scenes i think they do so in a way that gives you a sense of video game play without being overly cheesy but then um but then and while you're there for sort of the action and the adventure and the monsters and the creatures, what you get also is two really strong female characters that are really, again, carrying the what I consider like the emotional weight of the show. And because you know all of these stories feel separate but will eventually converge and in some instances already have, it's like watching – I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like watching like three great ingredients poured into a soup, knowing you're about to like get all of it at once. But but they don't. They're not trying to give every one of those elements amongst each of these characters. Like they're in a very specific spot, and it and it makes the show as a whole feel really full. But um, but it also keeps it separate. So I just love that. I think that's a cool sort of device. I think it works really really well. It's paid off awesome. The other thing again. Uh, I mentioned this earlier is if you're a fan of video game play, the way they shoot the action scenes in The Witcher is oftentimes from behind the actors, which really allows it to have that sort of video game feel. Um, there's also sort of the, especially like in the fight scene in the first episode, um, when Draw is, it comes across some sort of uh, ruffians, as it were, some ragamuffins. They uh, he 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 mows them down one by one, but sort of in a linear row, like when you're in a a video game and you just keep seeing the bad guys come down the hall at you. It has that vibe to it. It even has some sort of like force push, you know, telekinesis type thing, tactical telekinesis that that Geralt has, and um, it, it, even the move play feels like the sort of swipes that the swords do within the video game. So it has that level of authenticity to it, but it doesn't again doesn't take you out of the show it doesn't like you don't see them doing anything that doesn't feel believable within the context of the the sort of you know this mystical medieval world that the witcher created it feels within that but just hyper reality hyper real enough that it reminds you of the perspective that you have when you do those same moves within the video game so again another little subtle plus that, that they do that I really, really enjoyed and I thought was cool. And I think that if you're a fan of the game or just sort of fighter games in general, you'll it'd be something that kind of is interesting to you. Um, there's not much else like negative to talk about. To me, the show really does 
the a really uh, the, it does the job that I feel like every great fantasy should do, which is immerse you in the world. Like I loved Penny Dreadful, and I. Uh, you know, it wasn't a perfect series. I thought, actually, there's a lot of things within their story arcs that they did that felt rushed or skipped over or plot plot threads that never really seemed to come to a satisfying ending, if they came to an ending at all. Um, but despite some of its flaws, when you're watching Penny Dreadful, the, uh, the original three seasons, I, I didn't watch uh, the newest one yet, you really feel like you're immersed in that world like you're completely surrounded you can um, fantasize and imagine yourself within it and and you're there for the event even even though there might be you know uh, storytelling mistakes or or whatever it may be you're you're so engaged in it and engrossed in it that you're kind of there to see it all play out uh, you know game of thrones had that appeal for a lot of people although with game of thrones it felt like um it felt almost like a like the Christopher Nolan version of fantasy. Like even with all the mystical stuff that Game of Thrones has, it did not feel like it leaned into the magic. In fact, in fact, quite the opposite. It feels like it did its best to pull away from it where at all possible and kind of focus more on the inner character development and the um, the certainly the politics right behind it and sort of the deeper themes. Uh, but even in spite of the fact that that I don't feel like it, it inherently that it necessarily leaned in to that feeling of fantasy, it still did because it was just such a big show, you know, in the same way that like Braveheart is very earnest, but you just find yourself in that world, you know, completely surrounded by it when you watch it or Last of the Mohicans is another great one. You know, those kind of movies that can transport you. Um, this this falls right in line with that, you know, and it's actually a really nice combination of those two series, right? Whereas A Penny Dreadful leaned into the mythology and stylized and had fun with some of those, you know, char- literary characters that you're really familiar with in a way in ways that made it interesting, you know, like making Frankenstein a poet, you know, that kind of stylized creative license. Uh with the grit of of what Game of Thrones brings or Braveheart or Last Mohicans or Gangs of New York, any of those types of like really gritty war movies that even like in the case of um, you know Game of Thrones, even though it has mystical elements, just feels so grounded and real that the stakes feel worthwhile. I feel like The Witcher does a pretty good job of combining both of those. Uh, do I think it's like a, like the best thing to cinema? No, certainly not. Um, I wouldn't put it on the level of a high-end, sh- you know, show like, a, like a, you know, one of those like sort of critical darlings, you know. But for pure enjoyment and for a really nice blending of all the elements within the world of uh, swords and sandals and fantasy that people are drawn towards, I think it does a really, really excellent job of just finding that right balance behind everything so it's fun enjoyable and you're compelled to watch more and find out what happens next so because we do tusk ratings here uh i'm gonna go ahead and give it a four four tusk four to five tusk like i said it's not it's not what i would say is a critical darling but it is certainly a show that i think is super enjoyable and um especially like at the end of the night to put an episode on it's like chef's kiss that's awesome so four tusk for the witcher 
I recommend checking it out if you haven't. And if you have, go uh, check it out again because it's pretty cool. And again, it's one of those shows you could just toss on over and over and over again, and it's it's always satisfying. So check out The Witcher, Four Tusk for me. Uh, I loved it. And with that, I think we will go a little early. We've got some really good questions from you, our fans. I think we'll get to them and answer some of those questions now. Questions from Macarets. Subatomic Blonde asks, with Halloween being shut down, how can we celebrate the spooky season? How can we celebrate spooky season without being able to go trick-or-treating or you go uh, haunted to haunted houses or haunted hayrides or Disneyland, you know, the villains come out? Uh, you're, you're not going to probably have many of those things available to you. You're not going to be able to walk down, you know, a parade dressed as a sexy carrot probably this year. So we got to find more interesting ways to celebrate the spooky season as it's as we're pretty much in the in the, the depth of sub now. Now, I mean, obviously, this being a show predominantly about movies, you know, that I could just list off some movies to watch and and that would be cool. But I I think instead, I think instead, I want to focus on a way. That you can create an experience. I see online the sacred, the sacred experience of cinema, you know, the the theater experience, and in both of those instances, I, I really kind of question how much of that is just sort of this rose-colored glass look at the world that doesn't actually exist. You know, uh, trying to find a community of people online is it's it's tough at best because it gets it ends up being sort of high school drama but find a tight knit of people that's possible you know going to a theater and you know trying to get through any screening without someone being on their phone or someone um you know someone uh, talking or laughing too loud or whatever it may be, you know, just sort of, you know, ruins the overall ability to pay attention to the movie. I mean, certainly watching a movie in a crowd oftentimes it enhances the experience, but if it's a, ne- it can also enhance it in a negative way as well, which for a lot of people, not only is it uh, not really an ideal, ideal experience, but it's very expensive too. So how do you, how do you overcome that? So this is what I think. For this spooky season, be it with your family or find that small group. Don't worry about the community at large. Find that small group of, of like-minded movie minds, you know, horror lovers or what, sci-fi or whatever. Get them together. If they're in your family, great. If they're friends and you want to social distance uh, and be safe, which we recommend, set up Zoom calls. And, and don't just do a movie. Do like a double feature, you know. Um, for those of you, if you have ed- editing skills, splice in some cool uh, like like, com- like uh, trailers that are like of different eras, you know, but maybe have some sort of common theme with the features that you're watching like they, they do at Alamo Drafthouse, right? Um, make it – if you do happen to be people in, in a gathering, you know, a small, you know, less than 10 group of gathering of friends – uh, your real horror community. Um, space yourselves out. You know, cr- put out bowls of candy for each individual person out of a pumpkin. Um, if you've got the ability to, you know, instead of just playing your movies on a TV, put them through a projector, or or try to find the old VHS versions of it. You know, and 
you don't necessarily even have to do it together. You know, you could just create these experiences for yourself. But there's ways at home that we could utilize like small stuff that could enhance the experience. Like I said, not everyone's going to be an editor or have a projector. But you might be able to go find some old horror movie on a VHS tape or maybe you already have some. You know, and and you can you can move your TV outside, perhaps, you know, if it's small enough. Like there's a lot of different creepy things you can do to like, well, go if you if you're lucky enough to have a yard, like maybe camp out and watch the movie under the starlights and just hear the noises from outside. I think there's a lot of fun ideas that one can do at home. Uh, Yes, picking the movie is important. But instead of bemoaning not being able to be social outside, let's use the technology that's available to us and let's use a little creativity to see if we can't create a really cool in-house viewing experience that goes above and beyond just popping a a movie in and having popcorn. Really put that same effort that you would put into or have a costume party as you you know not a, I mean, again i don't want i want to caution people to not i'm not advocating for people getting in large gatherings but if you've got a small group of people or again you could do it via zoom put some effort into making the experience stand out and i think your spooky season will feel as enriched as it would if you were able to go out trick-or-treating so that's my advice. Use what you have available. Don't feel like you got to spend a lot of money, but find some uh, find something to do to make it a little unique, a little bit more memorable. Put a little effort behind it, and uh, see what kind of cool cool scenarios you can you can create on this Halloween, watching creepy movies at home. The Tiger Mexican asks, "How do you feel about the decision to postpone so many horror movies that people are looking forward to, like the Halloween sequel and Candyman?" How do I feel about the decision to postpone horror movies, Halloween? Um, so I feel two ways about it. I, I, I guess I the answer is I have um, a very mixed feelings about it. And on the one hand, it's a bummer because I feel like, uh, again, we just talked about in the last question, how to make the, the movie-going experience at home you know, very interesting and fun and compelling during the spooky season. Like, wouldn't it be cool if you could partner that with watching one of these new releases like uh, Halloween Kills or uh, The Candyman uh, Nina DeCosto's Candyman but so I mean that to me like that's a uh, it's a bummer because I feel like people could use the content I think that would really be a big morale booster Um, at the same time though filmmaking is a business and the studios must feel like there's a better financial gain by putting those movies out in theaters and waiting, you know, at the risk of interest dying, you know, perhaps, uh, that it's worth it for them to postpone it into 2021 when, in theory, the ability to go to theaters might be safer and they might be able to uh, get a larger return from their, you know, their investment. That's a possibility. And, and if that's the case, one perspective is you to be excited that the studio feels so strongly about the product that they feel it's worth that push. Um, that should at least potentially make you feel really excited about how the product turned out and may, may make it worth the risk or the wait rather. Um, that being said, on the other hand, we'll, you know, we don't really know what the theater experience will be like in a year. So I guess in the end, 
how I feel about it being postponed is it's a bummer. I mean, I'm pretty bummed about it. I, I think it'd be really cool when everyone's been, a lot of people have been sitting at home or, you know, certainly having anxieties to, to get some of these new releases that people were looking forward to at home through a streaming service uh, of some deal. I, I can't possibly imagine Netflix wouldn't pay really good money for the first run of Halloween kills, you know, but that being said, you know, obviously the studio feels like it's worth the wait. So it's a bummer to me. I wish they'd release stuff. It's not like other things aren't released. So, you know, take solace in the fact that, well, you know, Candyman might not be coming out on streaming. There's other independent horror movies that are that you should check out and it's and give them some support. So you're not without cool movies to watch. It's a bummer that these releases aren't coming out because I think they would help morale. But Let's all at least try to be positive and think that the studio must think they're really, really damn good to hold them off. So we might be in store for a really uh, fun season of great horror that's been just slightly held out of our grasp, sort of building up the anticipation. So be excited, everyone. Next question. Meth and Taxes asks, is there a horror reboot or sequel you're actually looking forward to? Horror boot or sequel I'm looking forward to? I just talked about those too. Um, you know, I, I I don't generally like, I don't generally love the idea of horror reboots because I, as I've said before, I think so much of what makes a horror movie especially not only relevant but exciting and memorable to people is because it's a byproduct of its time and sometimes when you make you know remake the same movie 30 years later it just it's a different time frame the level of what shocks people or disturbs people or feels uh whatever it may be that that has changed over time and it, it unless you can find a really interesting way to make it relevant to that time a lot of times it just feels like a pale comparison so I don't necessarily get super stoked when I hear it. That being said, like I watched Halloween, you know, Halloween, the uh, David Gordon Green Halloween, which was uh, sort of a splinter universe off from the first Halloween. I liked that quite a bit. That in itself was a sequel. So now we're about to get a threequel. And how often are the third movies very good? But because I liked the craftsmanship of the previous movie, I'm excited about that. That should they've they've built up goodwill with me. You know, they didn't, they st- it felt like they stayed true to the original while still kind of breaking some interesting ground. Um, the new Scream, I, I, you know, Scream was kind of from my generation of uh, teenagers, you know. So um, that one certainly I, I'm looking forward to. I, You know, the, the first and the second movie and the fourth movie are great. The third one's not so great, but... I always have really fun memories attached to that, so pretty excited about that. Um, you know, Candyman. You know, seeing Nia DaCosta take a, a a swipe at Candyman and seeing what kind of new, compelling way she could tell that story, I think is pretty exciting. And you know, it'll be an interesting perspective on a story that um, I feel like there they I feel confident that there must be a way for her to make that material feel relevant today. So I'm excited about that. And then, um, but I mean, the one I'm the most excited about, and I know I've probably talked about it before, is the Hellraiser reboot. And I know that that might be sacrilegious to some people because um, 
if you've listened to this show, you know how much I love the first. I mean, oh yeah, I love all the Hellraisers. There's, I mean, they got bad at the end, but you know, the first three or four for sure. Um, you would think I wouldn't want it remade because I have such fond memories attached to it. But um, the reality of it is, is that it, you there's there's a lot of room within that world to tell an interesting story without necessarily just beat for beat retelling the original story that I think that I'm excited that um, that world can be explored through a more modern lens. But then additionally to that, I'm really excited about the filmmaker, David Bruckner. Uh, I think that um, his work on The Ritual was just so, so vastly, like such a vast pond of emotion. You know, it was just, it, it was... It was uh, the setup. Uh, again, I talked about when I talked about that episode a few episodes back. You know, it has the sort of the the same setup as Midsummer, but with far more potency. It, it seems like everything matters more in the ritual, and and because of the the emotional depth is so vast. I I mean I I'm ecstatic now more than even before that the Hellraiser world can be explored. Through the same lens that explored, that that, that explored uh, the ritual. So, um, I'm I am extremely stoked about that. I have the highest of hopes. Uh, I feel confident, Mr. Bruckner and his pals will turn in a good job, um, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, maybe by the time Hellraiser is is done, we'll uh, we'll all be back in theaters uh, safely and be able to. Exp- enjoy that uh whatever that theater experience is diver bad news down asks who is your favorite final girl who is my favorite final girl i think you know there's so many to choose from and the easy answer is always like jamie lee curtis you know um but or janet lee her mom even but honestly i i think i'm gonna have to go with uh sydney from uh the scream series nev campbell because She's a. She's just, again. She like I mentioned at the, uh, earlier. The Scream sort of was the movie that came out during my high school time. It's a movie that I sort of identified as a, a maybe like the older brother generation of us. And uh, so, right in my formative years, you know, like that was the movie that I one of the movies that I saw early on. That was that was also very like a. Uh, memorable to me so because that was so of my time that's the one that sort of really sticks out to me she to me when I first really had a deeper understanding of what a final girl was that was Sydney and it's a character that has you know she has a lot of the same traits that your classic you know your um, you know your, your classic final girl like a Jamie Lee Curtis like you, there's a certain there's certain things you expect to occur and, and Sydney because Scream is such a meta film, and it's it's so uh, it's so self aware of the the genre that it's working in. It does a really great job of making sure all those elements that we expect out of a final girl, all those tropes, are sort of built into Sydney. But there's there's also a tougherness in her that you know we don't see we didn't see as often like in the '80s. You know, maybe at the end they kind of toughen up. But you didn't quite see it as, as frequently as you may do now, wherein, like, the final girl kind of kicks some ass, 
You know, she's t- she's a lot tougher than than given credit for, and that was something that especially within um, the '90s and in the Scream series that you started to see. So I liked that. I liked that. Yes, Sydney was the victim. Obviously, she was being she was being terrified by the ghost face killers, but there was something kind of tough about her at all times, and you you really rooted for her to succeed because you knew she could and that has carried and and matured across the four movies her toughness went from just sort of a, a you know a, someone who grew up fast kind of toughness to someone who's gone through so much trauma and not unlike in fact what Jamie Lee Curtis did in the David Gordon Green version of Halloween where now many years later she was able to go back and revisit that character from a position of someone who's climbed the hill of trauma I feel like Sydney over four movies did that within the Scream universe. So for me, anyway, um, she will always sort of be my my favorite final girl, and hopefully a model by which other ones can be built. Um, but also special special uh, shout out to to Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street, Heather Langenkamp. Like she was kind of one of the early ones, and and one that I don't think quite gets the credit that she deserves i mean she's literally going up against a dream monster and she survived a couple of movies so uh she gets a special shout out as well nom- you know, special nomination but um still for me personally i think i'm gonna have to go with sydney from the scream series all right on to our witch tournament so last week we had ease bayou versus the love witch movie that uh, was actually pretty close. I wasn't really sure. These were two movies that I felt like weren't as known to most no, most people. Um, certainly, when I when I put them up, I got a lot of questions like what the where those movies were. Or sometimes you'd, you'd hear people say like, "Oh, I've been wanting to watch that." So I wasn't quite sure how everyone would react. But we have a winner, and Eve's Bayou advances fifty five votes to 48 votes for The Love Witch. So relatively close. You guys turned out for that. Um, for our... So they both... So the uh, Eve's Bayou will advance to the next round. And in the final round of... The final matchup of the first round, we have The Incantation versus Gretel and Hansel. It's a tough competition. Uh, and I remember telling Jude when I put his movie in, I said, listen, this is uh, not to blow smoke, but I, I genuinely think this is a really strong film. And it deals with witchcraft in a very earnest and direct way. Uh, it plays homages to the uh, it plays homage to movies of the past that you grew up with, like the Hammer films and Rosemary's Baby. But it doesn't feel completely contrived. Um, I, I just really like the movie beyond a friendship. So. Uh, it's going up against tough competition because Gretel and or yeah Gretel and Hansel is by most accounts super loved by people. People really seem to like that film. I watched it and I thought it was very beautiful, but I really wish it would have had a stronger script. Um, I could probably put it on any time and just marvel at the cinematography, talk about every frame of painting, but in terms of the script, it was pretty shallow and. Um, it just didn't feel like there was much bones there for to work off of. Or maybe that was all that was there. It was just the bones. So I was a little disappointed in the film. But a lot of people love it. So I think we got the uh, we got the, we got we got Rocky versus the Russian, right? We've got uh, we got Captain America before he was uh, Captain America when he was just old skinny Steve Rogers against the bully in the alley. But uh, you know, 
We've been surprised before, so let us know. There's two ways to vote. There's uh, number one, tomorrow you'll see posted on the Slasher app the two movies that are competing against each other. On Instagram, go to at the Slasher app and just vote just in the comment section. Tell us which one you like the best. And then for the rest of the week, go on over to at Grindhouse Podcast and in the stories, I'll put a poll up that has the two movies against each other and you guys vote. At the very end, we'll tally all the votes. And then once again, tomorrow or next week, rather, not tomorrow, got other things to do. Next week, I will announce that winner and then we'll be moving into our semifinals. So thank you guys for voting to date and being interested in it and participating with it. And thank you for those who put in questions. I thought they were really good. I thought they touched on a lot of the themes that we've already talked about today. And ultimately, thank you guys for being my co-hosts because this is what we do for you. Sometimes it's me and others. Sometimes it's just me and you. But at the end of the day, you guys make this whole thing possible. So thank you very much. We appreciate you listening. I hope you had fun. Check out The Witcher. Maybe come up with some cool ideas to spice up your Halloween, your Halloween horror festivals in your house that are safe and socially distanced. And let us know what you what movies I should be watching. Maybe maybe once I'm done with The Witcher, there'll be some other series that I should dive into. Let me know keep the flow communication of flow open so thank you guys once again and until next time this has been the grindhouse podcast adios you're listening to the grindhouse podcast on the oh fuck network please follow us on instagram at grindhouse podcast and listen to us every monday on itunes soundcloud and now on spotify 